It is a great delight and privilege to be back with you again today on this Trinity Sunday, this day in which we celebrate this most mysterious of all theological riddles, how God could be three and one. And it converges on Memorial Day weekend, this day in which we celebrate those who've given their lives, uh, many of whom we don't know, we've never seen, uh, that our lives are sustained and surrounded, made possible by that which we don't see. So it's appropriate that Trinity Sunday and Memorial Day weekend would converge. You may have seen the sequence in 60 Minutes a couple of weeks ago of the rescue of Jessica Buchanan, who was a young aid worker in Somalia. For 90 days, she was held hostage, taken captive for a multi-million dollar ransom. And as she was moved from place to place in the bush, her health deteriorated. And as she was permitted a weekly cell phone call pleading for the ransom to be paid, uh, they could tell that her voice was getting fainter and fainter and fainter. Her entire Christian college had gathered in a prayer vigil during those days. Her parents were totally engaged in prayer for her. And on the night of the State of the Union Address, January 2012, President Obama ordered the Navy SEALs, Navy SEAL Team 6, uh, to parachute in to rescue her. So in the dark of night, the SEALs parachuted into Somalia, made their way to where she was held hostage, And then she says she had the most stunning experience. She heard her name being called out in American-accented English. Jessica, we've come for you. You're safe. We're taking you home. Almost delirious from her illness and from the experience, she couldn't believe what was happening as these Navy SEALs swooped her up and started carrying her towards the helicopters. And at one point, they asked her to lie down because gunfire was erupting, and they covered her body with theirs. As she was finally able to scramble into a helicopter and it was about to take off, she looked around and realized that the SEALs were all getting into a different helicopter. She never saw the faces and she never knew the names of the people who had risked their lives that she might live. There's something about the mystery of how our lives are sustained by that which we can't see. How our lives are made possible. How we stand, how we exist by this cloud of witnesses around us. And so on this convergence of Memorial Day and Trinity Sunday, I invite us to reflect on this mysterious aspect of our life that we spend much of our time talking to someone we can't see. Prayer. You step back for a moment, and 90% of the world's population, regardless of faith, would say they pray regularly. I didn't grow up in the church, and when I first encountered prayer, it just seemed so weird (laughs) to to talk to someone you can't see. and who never talks back. And then, and then I went to youth group. And in the 60s, there was this song. He lives, he lives. My Savior lives today. He walks with me and talks with me throughout. Oh, weird. <laughs> These friends all seem so normal. You know, I, they played football. They played basketball. They were good in school. I liked them. It was fun doing things. He walks with them and talks with them. 
You, you ask me how I know he lives. The song goes on. He lives within my heart. Weird. It came out in the news this last month that Michael Jackson in the last weeks of his life reported to his manager that I hear God talking to me. His tour director became so concerned by this that he burst into tears and said, we've got to get Michael to the hospital because surely hearing voices, that's, a, that's, that's pretty serious, this hearing voices stuff. That's a sign of, of pretty deep trouble. So what do we do with this? This claim that we spend much of our life talking to someone we can't see and, and every so often we actually would be so audacious as to suggest that this one whom we can't see talks to us. How do we know it's the voice of God and it's not our own fantasy, it's not the adversary, it's not indigestion, it's, it's, it's God talking to us. You know, Jesus says in John 16, I have so many other things to tell you but you're just not ready to hear them yet. And so I'll send the spirit of truth, and the spirit will lead you into all truth. Well, how do we know? Have you ever heard voices? Would you ever admit it if you had? Have you ever heard the voice of God? Not necessarily this Scott, you know, kind of this audible, but within you, something, a word comes into your life that is so clearly from outside your life that it's not your own fabrication. There is something being said in you that you know isn't from you. I invite us to an experiment. And I invite us to pray even right now. The simple prayer of, Holy Spirit, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to have my ears opened. Do you have anything you want to say to me? I'd be particularly interested to hear what you wanted to say about me, to me. So let's pause for a moment and pray that. It's true, Spirit, we would love to hear from you. So if you have anything to say to us, we'd love it. Open our ears that we could hear. Amen. In the coming minutes and hours today, I encourage you to come back to that. Because I believe God is a communicator. An extraordinary one. I believe God is always communicating. But I believe that we're resistant. We're hesitant. There's some traditions in the church that would actually suggest that the only way God speaks now is through Holy Scripture. And this notion that God would have a word to us, which Jesus seems to suggest is true. I will send the Spirit and He will lead you into all truth. How do we know it's the Spirit of God? In Romans 8, Paul gives five marks of the voice of God. And I'd like to remind us of those today, that these are pretty clear indicators that it's God from whom we're hearing, and it's not any other voice that's coming to us. And so I'd like us to walk through just a quick gamble, quick, not gamble, that's, well, gamble in the horse word, uh, not gamble in the other word, gallop, um, through Romans 8. 
Romans 8 begins with timpanies, just a crescendo of timpanies. timpanies. Uh, For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Verse 1 of chapter 8. No condemnation. Now, we specialize in sending ourselves you-jerk messages, right? How often do you tell yourself each day, if you were to keep a list, I tried that once, and it just became so exhausting to keep a list of all the times I told myself today what a loser I was. You know, if people really knew what was going on inside me, what I was really thinking, feeling, struggling with, I would feel like a medieval leper who needed to grab my bell and go walking through the room, unclean, unclean, get out of the way, here I come. God would not shame us. God does not blame us. And when we hear the voice of shame and blame, it's not the voice of God, it's the voice of the accuser. For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation, period. That's not the voice of God. So the first mark of the voice of God, it's the voice that assures us rather than accuses us. I've lived so much of my life specializing in finding ways to cover up all possible causes of accusation. Never be caught without an excuse. Always have a rationalization. Always be quick to defend yourself and to protest your innocence. Always perform really well so that no one would dare even suggest there there was some failure or something unworthy or unacceptable going on in your life, right? Maybe some of you have specialized in the same thing. Second, mark of the voice of God. If the first is that there's no condemnation because of sin, the second is there's no resignation to sin. In chapter 8 of Romans verse 9, Paul says, we are no longer in bondage. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves to our addictions, to our impulses, to our fears, to our anxieties. We're not held prisoner, hostage by those things any longer. Rather, he says in verse 13, by the Spirit of God, we put to death the deeds of our flesh. All 12-step movements are founded in the recognition that we can't get ourselves out of the mess we're in. But they're also founded on the conviction that we don't need to stay in the mess we're in. We're not trapped there. We're not prisoners. We're not held hostage in our mess. Instead of life being this endless process of sin management, of failing and stumbling and confessing and repenting and being forgiven and failing and stumbling and confessing and repenting and being forgiven over and over and over again, Paul says, no, we're not in that bondage anymore. By the Spirit of God, we say, Holy Spirit, come and crucify that in me that I might live in the freedom and the fullness and the dignity and the holiness for which I've been created and to which I've been called in Jesus Christ. But this isn't just an impersonal power. It's not just the force that is with us. It is something much more solid than that. Because the third mark of the voice of God in our lives Paul describes in verse 14, we have received the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit 
pours out in our hearts the response to the Father, Abba, Daddy. We are adopted sons and daughters, children of God. A couple of weeks ago, our youngest grandchild woke up from a bad dream, crying uncontrollably. Carrie and I ran in and tried to knock each other over to see who got to pick him up. And I carried him into the living room and sat down in the chair as he threw his arms around my neck, just sobbing. And in a matter of moments, he returned to sleep. And with his arms around my neck, he was just breathing softly. Oh, it was one of those grandparent moments that you, you, know, you live for. You can't, it doesn't get better than this. I didn't have an agenda for him at that point. I didn't want to teach him something or get him to change or be different or go give more care, go. I just wanted to hold him. I just wanted him to know that he was safe. And so our Heavenly Father repeatedly wants to say to us, just lean back in my arms of love. You are safe in my arms of love. Irenaeus, one of the fathers of the early church, said the Son and the Spirit are the two arms with which the Father reaches out to draw us into God's embrace. A friend of ours, Charlotte, was taken captive by the Lord's resistance army in Gulu in northern Uganda. For seven years, she was a captive And she said to us one night over dinner, never once during those seven years, she still can't talk about the atrocities she saw, but never once did I not sense God with me. Now that is mysterious to me. If there would ever be a reason to feel abandoned by God, Charlotte's mother, Angelina, launched a movement of prayer. And she organized thousands of people throughout Uganda and even around the world to pray for the children who've been taken captive by the Lord's Resistance Army in Gulu. Angelina became so notorious that Joseph Kony, the leader of the LRA, knew her name very well and feared her. So Charlotte became a prize captive. She was chained continually. Angelina was bold in her prayers and in her proclamations. She spoke with Museveni and the president of Uganda. She spoke in front of the United Nations. She received the UN Human Rights Award for her diligent advocacy on behalf of the children who'd been taken captive in northern Uganda. After seven years of this, one night Angelina was in prayer with a group of friends, and she said, Lord, you promised us the jubilee. You promised us that after seven years and seven times seven, the slaves would go free, the captives would be released. Now's the time, Lord. It's been seven years. And the Lord said to her, Angelina, have you forgiven Charlotte's captors? That thought had never occurred to her before. And she fell on her knees in repentance. And the next day she went, traveled to the home of the mother of the commandant who for seven years had, held, had been the particular owner of her daughter. And she walked into this woman's home and said, I want you to know that I forgive your son. God ordered me to forgive your son. I forgive your son for what he has done and is doing to my daughter. And this woman grabbed Angelina's hand and walked out of the house and pointed to the field next to the house and said, see all those grave markers? They're the graves of my other sons who've died in this war. 
couple of nights later, Charlotte awoke in the middle of the night and heard a voice say to her, tomorrow you will go free. She started to sing and then realized she dare not because if she started singing in the night, that would be a death blow. The next day, they were going on a quick march through the bush, and instead of being chained like she normally was with guards on all sides because she was such a high-prized captive, uh, they had to release her chains so they could move quickly. And as she was running through the bush, she heard a voice say to her, in another few yards, go left. She did, grabbing the hand of her son and walked off into the bush. The eyes of her guards blinded walking to freedom. It's a remarkable story, isn't it? But it's also kind of frustrating. Seven years before God answered. Why seven years? Why not one year? Why at all? Why cancer? Why unemployment? Why do our children's lives tumble into such messes? Why do marriages crumble? Why the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Why, Lord? You start talking about all this and you're confronted with what seems to be the, the disinterest, if not the impotence, or the strange ways of God. Right? And so it's almost easier just to back off because it becomes too discouraging. And here we come to what is really the, the main point I believe God wants us to focus on this morning. Another dimension of prayer. If, if prayer is us talking to God and occasionally God talking to us, there's a third dimension of prayer that has caught my attention in recent years that I'd never re even really reflected on. That the deepest part of prayer is not my words to God or God's words to me, but God's words on behalf of me. The Spirit and the Son pray for us. Have you ever thought about that? There's our scripture that Scott read from Romans 8. The Spirit intercedes for us. Paul in Romans 8 speaks of the threefold groaning that goes on in the world. The groaning of creation. And we know the earth groans. We know the, the struggles, the pain of creation. And then he speaks of our own groaning, the labor pains within us, just longing to be set free, to become fully what we know God wants us to be. But then he speaks, thirdly, same word of the groaning of the Spirit within us. The Spirit sweeps up the groaning of creation and the groaning of our own hearts and homes and lives and neighbors and friends and countries. The Spirit sweeps all of that up into the Spirit's own groaning and carries that in intercession on our behalf to the Father. And then later in verse 34, Paul talks about, and Jesus himself prays for us, ever lives to intercede for us. The Son knows, has borne, as the author of Hebrews says, our weakness, our frailty, our brokenness, our sinfulness. He understands all of that. God's not shocked by our sin. So why do I waste so much time trying to hide it from Him? Why do I waste so much time refusing to admit it to myself? Why do I waste so much time trying to pretend that I, I don't have failures and weaknesses and struggles and sorrows? God is no stranger to any of that. God understands it fully and, and Jesus has borne it all and carries it into the heart of the Father. 
Jesus bears our weakness and the Spirit speaks into us our worthiness. We are beloved sons and daughters in Jesus Christ, welcomed by the Father into God's embrace. No condemnation for our sin, no no resignation to our sin, no isolation because of our sin. And then Paul says, and no separation. For nothing, he says, will separate us from the love of God. You name it, it can't do it. Nothing, no sin, no failure, no evil, no act of the demonic, no, no act of our circumstances, no act of other people. Nothing, Paul says, can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. I am amazed by the ministries of this church and all the ways God works through this church to extend to the world God's embrace. Whether it's Eastside Academy or Homes for Homeless Kids or Jubilee Reach or Black Dot Homes or Auto Angels or middle school sports teams or care for victims of the Rwandan genocide or AIDS orphans or the the aftermath of Cambodia or homeless people in Central America, the corporate ministries of this church just go on and on and on, extending the divine embrace And not just corporally, but then you individually in your homes, in your workplaces, with your neighbors, with your friends, allowing God to take your arms, your hands, and make them be expressions of the hand of the Son carrying weakness and the hand of the Spirit speaking worthiness, drawing people into God's embrace, covering other people's lives with your life in prayer, as the Spirit covers us with the Spirit's life in prayer, calling us by name, it's going to be okay. I'm taking you home. It's going to be all right. So what did you hear? Did the Spirit say anything? I invite you to continue this morning. Asking, God, what do you want to tell me? What do you want to say to me about me? Prayer is not just our preparation for life. It's not just what we do to get the resources we need to do what we're trying to do. Prayer is our participation in God's life. The closer we go to the heart of God, the closer we go to the needs of the world. Because as we draw close to the heart of God, we hear the groanings of creation that God carries and God weeps over. We hear the groanings of our neighbors. We hear the groanings of my brother-in-law who is just told he has cancer. We hear the groanings because the Spirit and Son, even when we ourselves aren't able or even maybe not willing to speak them, the Spirit takes them into the heart of God. And we have the privilege, the holy privilege of of making that in some small way tangible to other people as God works through us to extend the divine embrace. No condemnation for sin. No resignation to sin. No isolation because of sin. And no separation, nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. So today, may you hear the son saying, let me carry your weakness with you. May you hear the Spirit, let me me breathe into you the assurance of your worthiness. And may you discover the adventure in some small way of God taking your hands to extend to others 
this holy embrace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we live and move and have our being. Amen.